Welcome to Blood is Red, volume one of the color collection series of short story anthologies written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Blood is Red is also available as an ebook and an unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash blood is red. Hello, junkie. Those chilly winter winds are starting to blow. And like those ever so happy Starks are fond of saying, winter is coming. It's time for part two of Number One with a Bullet, where we close out the story of Lawrence Cutter and Eugene Patterson. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back, check that one out first. In writing news, I am precariously close to sending my horror novel Warpath off to the publisher. As soon as I send that, I dive into Galactic Football League Book 7's final draft. Now, I know many junkies have been waiting a long time for this one. Maybe you have as well. I can't wait to bring it to you. Let me get you caught up on today's story. We're going to jump right into it. Previously on Number One with a Bullet, NFL security agent Lawrence Cutter's standard background check of number one draft prospect Eugene Patterson should have been easy work. And it was, until Cutter learned of the animal sacrifice. And that was just the beginning of his unfortunate discoveries. It's past midnight in Memphis, and Cutter is on the run, trying to avoid the Pitter Patterson of little feet. And now, the conclusion of Number One with a Bullet. A fire burned in the center of the floor. Smoke rose up to a wide metal funnel, then up a pipe and out of the basement. The flickering flames fucked with Cutter's night vision. The number of cultists surprised him. He'd expected maybe three or four, but at least ten sat in a circle around the fire. The dancing flames cast moving shadows on the chanters' faces. They were all so young. College kids with college kid clothes. Cutter stopped a good thirty feet from the chanters, crouching behind a sagging lazy boy covered with rips and duct tape. He glanced at Luke, who stood about ten feet to his right behind a stack of old Chiquita banana boxes. As if on cue, Patterson walked out of the shadows and into the firelight. He stood opposite Cutter's position. We got you now, you sick little puppy. If they were killing a dog tonight, Patterson was finished. Patterson looked much bigger in person than he had on TV, even without the football pads. Perhaps it was because he stood tall while all the chanters sat cross-legged on the floor. Perhaps it was simply because he was monstrous, six foot four, 265 pounds of walking muscle. Dressed in a tight-knit shirt, his rock-solid body took on superhero proportions. Cutter hoped feverishly he wouldn't have to confront this kid tonight. He'd seen the Pitter Patterson of Little Feet on TV. The kid could hit like a freight train. Patterson's black eyes were wide and flaring, glistening and flickering in the firelight. His mouth opened in a sick grin of pride as he surveyed the chanters. For the first time in his life, Cutter knew he was looking at something completely evil. My children! 
Patterson's voice boomed across the basement. The start of our expansion is near! Cutter recognized Patterson's cultured voice. That and his million-dollar smile made him a media favorite for post-game interviews. Only now, the voice didn't talk eagerly of blitzes and team and confidence and all that other football rhetoric. The tone was dark and much deeper than Cutter remembered. Praise Baranti, the chanter said in unison. Patterson raised his arms. All sounds stopped as if guillotines had severed the chanter's necks. The fire crackled in the silence. Every church needs money, and we are no exception. He sounded like a televangelist, full of passion and overemphasis. Draft day is almost here, and I'm a lock for the first pick. My agent is talking a $10 million signing bonus, and we've got tentative deals with both McDonald's and Nike. Great. Air evil. I'll run right out and buy a pair. Patterson's sermon continued. In a matter of weeks, we'll have 20 million at our disposal. The media will make me an instant celebrity. My influence over young minds will grow stronger. You will all help me spread our church as we travel from city to city. Cutter stared at the surreal scene. These people did worship Patterson. You could see it in their eyes as they looked up adoringly from the floor. He towered above them arms outstretched in some crucifixion parody. Andy, Darius, Patterson called into the other end of the dark basement. Let us begin. Showtime. They'd kill the dog, then Cutter and Luke could slink away from this fucked-up Vincent Price flick. As a prospect, Eugene Patterson was finished, with a capital F. Stick a fork in him, he's done. When they cut the dog's throat, they'd also be cutting Patterson's. Dressed in all black, Jacoby and Klein came from the far end of the musty basement. The chanting started up again, louder and more intense, bouncing off the cinder block walls with a lethal energy. The chanter circle broke to give them room, and suddenly Cutter got a full view of Jacoby, Klein, and the dog. Only, it wasn't a dog. It was a girl. Cutter's jaw dropped. Jacoby and Klein dragged the girl inside the chanter's circle. She looked about 17. She wore jeans and an orange Memphis University Tiger sweatshirt. Tears streaked her face, their trails glistening in the firelight. A bandana gag masked her sobs. Her wide eyes and shuddering body betrayed her terror. She couldn't have weighed more than a hundred pounds, soaking wet. Cutter's mind whirled like a buzzsaw. This was way beyond NFL security matters. The girl's life was in danger. His hand immediately went for his gun, but he stopped himself. Cutter never acted on first impulse, never acted without thinking. He glanced over at Luke, who crouched in the shadows, his weapon already drawn. It's time, my children, Patterson shouted over the chanting din. He smiled from ear to ear like a predator closing in on wounded and exhausted prey. As I promised, you get to see my true form! He ripped off his shirt, exposing his chiseled frame. His muscled body started to shudder, convulse, as if he were caught in a standing epileptic seizure. Cutter felt the room's ambient energy spike to a new level. 
The chanting increased in intensity and volume. The excitement felt tangible. And then Lawrence Cutter discovered that Coletta Williams was far from crazy. No wonder he's so fucking good. That was the last rational thought of Cutter's life. His eyes gathered information that his brain simply refused to deal with, as if his intellect had hung an out-to-lunch sign in the window and quietly slipped out the back door. But he couldn't look away. His eyes sucked in all the madness before them. Patterson's jaw seemed to wither into his head, wrinkling like a raisin as it shrunk backward. Only the thin lower lip remained, looking like the blade of a shovel jutting out from Patterson's neck. His eye sockets extended forward like bullhorns, ending with bright green eyes instead of points. Oh, oh, I am not seeing this. Baranti! the chanter screamed passionately. Baranti! Patterson's thick neck stretched and thinned. His head reached away from his body with a nasty grinding sound. Bony thorns poked through his skin in twin lines running up each side of the elongated neck. Nope, no fucking way. The wave of transformations reached Patterson's shoulders. Each arm grew thinner and longer, becoming more graceful, almost as if the bone inside dissolved, leaving only coiled muscle. The hand stretched into long, claw-tipped talons. Patterson's pectoral muscles each sprouted another tentacle, identical to those that danced from his shoulders like spasmodic anacondas. His skin quickly turned grayish and took on a pebbly texture. Patterson, or what used to be Patterson, towered over everyone, at least eight feet tall, thin and solid, like a scratched piece of lead pipe. The chants of Baranti and Patterson's transformation noises stopped, as if on cue, leaving only the crackling fire and the girl's sobs. His mind blank except for well-honed instincts, Cutter silently pulled his gun and clicked off the safety. My children, Patterson called in an inhuman voice. Let's get this party started. Carve her up and tap the keg. Someone hit play on an unseen boombox. Techno dance music filled the basement. The chanters bounced to the heavy synthetic drumbeat, but they remained seated, watching the girl. Klein held her sagging body by the shoulders. Jacoby produced a huge, ornate knife with a jagged, foot-long blade. The room roared with gunfire, shocking Cutter so badly that he pissed himself. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.
Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Luke's two gunshots blasted the still basement like close-range cannons. Jacoby grunted as the bullet slammed into his chest and drove his body backward. The knife dropped from his hands, clattered to the concrete floor. The scene instantly shifted from pause to flash forward. Impossibly quick, Patterson dove for the far shadows. The chanters sprang from their cross-legged positions and scattered like cockroaches. Luke's gun roared out three more rounds. One bullet caught Klein high up on the right shoulder, spinning him around and dropping him on the dirty concrete like a toy top that's just run out of steam. The bound and gag girl stood alone, frozen in place. Cutter, get the girl! On autopilot, Cutter leapt over the pitted lazy boy and sprinted forward. He threw the girl roughly over his shoulder and lumbered toward the stairs. Get those motherfuckers! Patterson's dark, raspy voice drowned out the thumping industrial music. Don't let them get away! Cutter worked his way through the maze of dead furniture and musty boxes. He stumbled forward, encumbered by the wiggling, panicking girl. He heard three more shots off to his left, just before something popped out of the debris to his right. Cutter turned and snapped off four quick shots. He heard a cry of pain and felt the splatter of something hot and wet on his face. The muzzle flash toasted his slowly adjusting night vision, but if he could get to the wall, he could still find the stairs and escape. Two more shots rang out from Luke's gun. Luke, let's get out of here! Cutter worked his way through the floor's musty clutter. Something moved in front of him. He didn't bother checking his target, he just fired twice. Whatever it was flew back and hit the wall, falling in a still lump on the floor. Cutter reached the wall and slid along its rough, damp surface, keeping a careful hold on the squirming girl. The stairs finally appeared. He turned at the landing and crouched. Luke sprinted around a ratty old dresser, heading toward him. Later, he could blame Luke for taking so long. Blame the dim light for not seeing. Blame himself for not paying attention. Blame the girl over his shoulder for blocking his view. Whatever the reason, he didn't see the knife-wielding college boy just off to his right. The kid jumped at Cutter, bringing the boy knife down in a vicious arc. It plunged into the girl's back, calling a stifled scream through her bandana gag. The boy's weight knocked all three of them over. He landed face down on Cutter, whose back hit hard against the concrete floor. The boy, quick, young, and agile, 
rose to his knees with the knife clutched in his hands, an evil snarl covering his face as he grinned down at Cutter. Cutter fired at least five times point-blank, ripping the kid's chest to hamburger. Blood showered down in fine droplets and great gouts, covering Cutter's face and chest. He rolled to the girl and felt for a pulse, faint and fading fast. The blade had pierced her heart. Cutter's mind slipped a few more notches. Luke ran up, his flat-soled shoes clattering loudly against the dirt-strewn concrete. She dead? Luke asked, eyes flickering through the darkness. With a capital D, Cutter said, his voice full of panic bordering on insanity. They both heard movement and fired randomly into the black basement. Cutter led the way as the two bounded up the stairs, heading for safety. Cutter reached the top of the stairs and sprinted for the front door, popping a fresh magazine into his gun as he exited. Streetlights flickered, illuminating the weed-filled lawn with a surreal, moonlight glow. He'd escaped that madness, was only a short jog from the car, from safety. Luke exited the door a second later, only he didn't make it all the way out. Cutter turned to see several tentacles, one clinging tightly to each side of the doorframe, one on top of the door itself, and the other wrapped around Luke's chest, lifting him off the ground. Surprised terror etched lines on Luke's face. Patterson's eye horns peeked out from the door, followed by the rest of his horrific head perched on the long, snake-like neck. His pebbly gray skin glistened softly under the streetlights, his thin mouth twisted into a grin of evil victory. A blast of fear erupted in Cutter's soul like a mushrooming hollow-point bullet. Luke squirmed in panic, shooting behind himself, trying to hit Patterson. The hammer clicked on empty after only two rounds. Cutter's gun came up lightning quick, both hands firmly on the handle, but Patterson was faster. He effortlessly lifted Luke, blocking the shot. Jesus, Cutter! Shoot this fucking thing! Patterson's horn eyes never left Cutter, even for a second, as a free tentacle snaked toward Luke's stomach. The tentacle moved quickly, punching its way through Luke's shirt and stomach like a huge gray snake sliding into a fleshy burrow. Luke's scream of agony ripped through the street, echoing off the brick walls and fading into the sweltering night. The tentacle suddenly pulled free of the ravaged gut with a squelch and a splatter. Luke's mouth opened, frozen in mid-gasp, eyes staring wide as the blood-slimed tentacle rose up before him, holding his heart. Cutter didn't know if he could hear its last beats or if he had just imagined it. The organ dripped blood onto the dark, dirt-covered sidewalk. Time stopped. Luke staring at his own heart. Cutter staring at Luke's expression of death. The faint sound of blood splattering on the ground. The heart hit Cutter in the face with a slapping sound like raw hamburger. It dropped to the ground. Cutter blinked and fell to one knee, instinct his only link to sanity, as he brought the gun up once again. Patterson dropped Luke to the ground and quickly slipped back into the house's shadows, slamming the door shut behind him. Cutter's gun erupted. Bullets splintered through the door. He stopped firing and looked at his friend. 
Luke's eyes remained wide, mouth open, as if still trying to find the words to plead for his life. His blood-soaked shirt appeared wet black under the streetlights. Hating himself, Cutter reached into Luke's jacket pocket and grabbed Luke's keys. Cutter sprinted down the street toward the car. It was like a ghost town. Nothing disturbed the night's hot, damp stillness. The sound of far-off traffic faintly faded in like background music. Cutter heard his own footsteps clatter loudly on the street. He saw movement up ahead. Possibly human, possibly not. Cutter dashed for the narrow, paved space between a four-unit apartment building and another fire-escaped pedecked house. He had to hide, catch his breath, regroup, and get ready for a dash to the car. An overflowing dumpster filled half the alley. He dove behind it, landing on torn bags, sliding into the stinking garbage and the welcome shadows. Approaching police sirens scratched at the night. Cops would be here in seconds. Maybe Patterson would hide, maybe he wouldn't. Cutter wasn't taking that chance. Let Memphis's finest deal with Patterson, who was not, his brain reminded him firmly, some fucking Asian demon. Cutter was getting to the car and not stopping until he hit Manhattan. He gripped the gun and stood, madness clutching furtively at his brain. He peeked into the alley. Nothing. He took a tentative step forward, pressing his back to the dumpster, sliding along its length. He sucked in a deep breath and cautiously moved out of the alley. Up the street, he saw the first flicker of red and blue flashers dance off the trees and houses. Gotta run, gotta run. Patterson's coming, coming to get me. The cop cars screeched to a halt in front of Jacoby's house less than a block away. Cutter stepped out of the alley and took off at a dead sprint. He heard fast footsteps, accompanied by a snarl, a millisecond before something thick and solid and strong slammed into him like a supersonic wrecking ball. Thickly muscled arms, human arms, wrapped around Cutter as 265 pounds of pissed-off All-American linebacker drove him into the ground. Cutter's weapon fired once, but the bullet harmlessly tore up a divot of grass. Police flashlights swung toward him, probing the darkness for the shooter. Patterson lithely rolled off Cutter and slipped unseen into the shadows. Nope, I didn't see that either, Cutter's mind mused just before sliding into darkness. But I heard it coming. I sure as fuck did. That's your story, Mr. Cutter? Memphis assistant DA Kelly Fife stared at him. A hard stare, the kind reserved for guilty perps. You're saying that you and your partner shot and killed six college kids, stabbed another, and wounded two more because Eugene Patterson is a shape-shifting Asian demon named Baranti. I didn't stab nobody, Cutter said, rocking back and forth in his chair. He knew it made him look crazy, but his ass itched and the straitjacket just wouldn't let him scratch. Patterson's getting in the NFL to make money, to gain power and influence so he can bring more kids into his church. He killed Luke. Uh-huh, Fife said. Even though we can't find Luke Moore, or his body for that matter, and the surviving students say Patterson was nowhere near the place. What was that? Cutter turned suddenly to his right. He'd heard a noise, same fucking noise he'd been hearing since he woke up. Are you okay, Mr. Cutter? 
thought I heard something. Sweat beaded on his forehead and upper lip. His breath came in ragged gasps, and the damn jacket itched so bad. What was that? Cutter turned hard to his left, so violently he fell off the chair. He lay on the floor, staring at the wall. Fife stood up and looked at the cop who watched over Cutter's cell. Is he always like this? Yes, ma'am. This guy's Garnersville. There's no way we'll get this murdering nutcase to stand trial. She walked out of the cell. The cop grabbed the two chairs and hauled them out, then shut the cell door, leaving Cutter alone. He looked furiously left, right, and behind himself. He heard it. He knew he did. He heard the pitter-patterson of little feet. You have been listening to Blood is Red, volume one of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author. For more information on Scott, please visit scottsigler.com. Blood is Red was produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is Dead Silence by the composer Vazia Sakal. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.